Well, good afternoon and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. Now, 2017 has been a remarkable year for, re- for religious liberty, with important court cases and regulations that seem to be easing restrictions on religion. Now, focus of the family vice president and Washington, D.C. observer Tim Gigline and I are discussing the last year and what may be in store for us this coming year. Welcome to the program, Tim. Thank you so much, Kip. It's uh, really an honor to be with you. Well, Tim, we have had quite a roller coaster ride. I mean, I look at 2016, and we had the Obergefell decision. We had the uh, uh, the mandate on uh, contraception with uh, abortion drugs, and really some very bad things happened. Then we've had kind of a turnaround this year. We've had uh, the Trinity Lutheran case was heard in the Supreme Court, and we won. The new administration seems much more friendly to uh, people of faith. They've issued uh, new guidelines that are exempting religious organizations from such things as the abortion mandate. And uh, now we've got a major case before the Supreme Court right now, which was just heard, that of Masterpiece Cake Shop. Boy, there's a lot going on, Tim. What's your take on it from what you see in D.C.? Well, I would say that the stakes for religious liberty at the Supreme Court have really never been higher than in the seven to ten year period uh, that you've just described. Uh, You mentioned Obergefell, uh, of course, the Jack Phillips case, the Masterpiece Cakes case, which we can talk about in a moment, Uh, the Windsor Doma case, which is very important. Uh, the case uh, Trinity Lutheran, uh, which uh, you know was a very very big decision in 2016, 2017. Uh, you know these are all absolutely major cases. Uh, but the masterpiece cakes case that you uh, mentioned, Kip, uh, is really first among equal. In fact, when you talk with people conversationally about religious liberty and the Supreme Court most people will almost automatically mention the Little Sisters of the Poor case uh, or the Hobby Lobby case, both of which were very important religious liberty cases. But the Masterpiece Cakes uh, case that you mentioned, and which was argued just two weeks ago uh, here in Washington, which I was uh, very honored to attend, and the decision of which we will get probably in May or June uh, in the year ahead, is actually bigger than all of the other cases. In this particular case, a Colorado baker called Jack Phillips, uh, you know, finds the design of his cakes as an extension of his vocation as a Christian. And in fact, if he were on this program and you asked him what he did for a living, he would not say, I'm a cake baker or I'm the owner of a bake shop. Uh, Rather, he would say, I'm a cake artist. Uh, and this is a very important phrase. It's a very important vocation, because when people come into his shop in Colorado and they want to be married, he actually designs a specific case uh, for each couple who come into his his shop. And he sees this in his business plan as his artistic expression in the same way that a sculptor uh, takes a lump of clay and forms a beautiful uh, sculpture, in the same way uh, that a painter 
uh, has an easel and the canvas before him or her. Uh, Jack Phillips views a wedding cake as the expression of his Christian art. And two uh, homosexual men came into his shop in 2012. Now, this is before uh, gay marriage was legal in Colorado, before uh, gay marriage was imposed on all 50 states. Uh, In fact, the day that they walked into his shop, there was no such thing as gay marriage in the overwhelming majority of American states, much less in Colorado. So if either one of these men had gone to a county courthouse uh, or to the state courthouse uh, or to a secular or religious uh, person who does weddings and said, please marry us, that person in government or in the church or synagogue or mosque or whatever a house of faith would have had to have say would have had to have said no uh, because uh, it would have been illegal. Uh, and Jack Phillips, not because of illegality, but because of his Christian faith, said, "I can bake any cake for you. I can bake a birthday cake. Uh, I can I can bake you know a special occasion cake." But because I'm a Christian and because I do not uh, believe in a so-called gay marriage, I cannot therefore use my artistic expression uh, to participate in your wedding. And the two homosexual men uh, went ahead and instigated a major uh, lawsuit against him uh, with the Colorado Commission of Civil Rights, and it went all the way up to the federal appellate court level. And at each one of those uh, decisions, Jack Phillips was told that if he did not participate, uh, he would be fined essentially out of business. He's lost 40% of his business. He no longer uh, bakes wedding uh, cakes, much less designs them. And, uh, Kip, I'm very happy to tell you that in this sweet land of liberty, even though he lost in Colorado, lost in the federal courts, the Supreme Court of the United States said, wait a minute, we want to hear this case. And so a few weeks ago in Washington, the Supreme Court heard this case. And the case could turn on liberty, which is to say on speech. It could turn on expression. But I think overall, and to your point, this goes to the question of religious liberty. That's what the heart of this case turns on. Uh, Tim, I want to... to Yes, please. I want to bring up a couple of points relevant to this. One is that, according to his Christian belief, he has also refused to make cakes celebrating divorce. He has also refused to make cakes regarding Halloween, which he regards as as wrong. Uh, Also, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission was faced with three, count them, three separate instances where gay bakeries refused to bake cakes with biblical uh, messages on them condemning homosexuality. Yes, and in fact, uh, there's an even more dramatic example, Kip. Uh, In the state of Colorado, uh, there were other uh, cases brought to the Colorado uh, Commission on Human Rights. Uh, There was a case uh, where someone was asked to bake a cake expressly Uh, expressing on the top of that cake a message in opposition to same-sex marriage. And nothing happened. Uh, There were other instances where uh, similar uh, bakers or cake artists were asked to do something, uh, and and there was absolutely no legal fine or any ramification for that. Uh, And in fact, in the Supreme Court case, 
not one, not two, but three justices in the Supreme Court brought up the fact that two members of the Colorado Commission on Civil Rights actually singled out Jack Phillips. They singled him out uh, for his Christianity, and in another instance, another member of the commission singled him out, uh, you know, for really bad political and policy-making decision. So, I mean, this is not the role of the Colorado Commission on Civil Rights. So there is an added question about whether we're seeing intolerance or religious bigotry. Well, I think you're absolutely correct on that. And I want to go back a little bit. I want to uh, discuss sort of a uh, prophecy that came out of the Obergefell decision. I've got a couple of quotes here from it. Justice Kennedy, writing for the majority, which legalized gay marriage, said that marriage, in their view, is by nature, gender-differentiated union of men and women. This long view this view has long been held and continues to be held in good faith by reasonable and sincere people here and throughout the world. And he goes on to say that those views are, of course, enshrined in the First Amendment. However, Justice Alito, in the dissent, wrote, and I'm quoting here, it will be used to vilify Americans who are unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy. In the course of opinion, the majority compares traditional marriage laws to the laws that denied equal treatment for African Americans and women. The implications of this analogy will be exploited by those who are determined to stamp out every vestige of dissent. And I assume that those who cling to the old beliefs will be able to whisper their thoughts in the recesses of their homes. But if they repeat those views in public, they will risk being labeled as bigots and treated by governments, employers, and schools as such. Yeah, that, that to me is really sobering, and it goes to the heart of conscience, doesn't it? Very much uh, so. Madison, yes, Madison, who was the primary, James Madison, the primary architect of our Constitution, said, and I quote, conscience is the most sacred of all property. This was actually brought up, as you say, by Justice Kennedy at the bench. He said, you know, in a democracy, tolerance matters. And he said uh, to the uh, legal team uh, who were uh, in opposition to Jack Phillips, uh, doesn't this smack of intolerance? I have to tell you that listening uh, to the lawyer uh, you know, defend this kind of egregious, outrageous behavior uh, was really hard to hear, uh, because that could have been any of us, literally any of us who are believers, uh, standing at the bench of the Supreme Court. So the stakes are extraordinarily high here, not necessarily for intolerance, not necessarily uh, for the question of expression, uh, although those are both extremely serious, but I think mostly for this question of the violation of conscience, because, and here's the question, Kip, if the state of Colorado, if the state of Missouri, if the state of Indiana, if any of the 50 states can coerce a cake artist uh, on a question of, you know, you will bake this cake or else, you will design this cake or else, you will participate in this gay marriage or else, if a state can coerce a person of faith with that much power, what else can they coerce all of us to do? The question is, Katie, bar the door. Absolutely. And I think the, the state of California, pardon me, the state of Colorado had even conceded that what Jack Phillips was doing was a form of speech. 
they, they conceded that, that, that artistic, well, they're still debating whether or not that they're artistic, but what he does or saying is indeed speech. That has been conceded. And there is the difference between free speech and compelled speech. Where else in our society do we have compelled speech? May I tell you, you are making an absolutely crucial distinction here. And I, I want to take a step back. I don't want to wander into the woods, but, but, there, but this is very important. Uh, you know, I would concede that in the realm of possible free speech cases, the Jack Phillips case is perhaps not the best case. It's a very good case, and I think that Jack Phillips absolutely deserves to win. But let, let me go down a rabbit trail for a moment to deepen this conversation. Uh, what if you are a person who uh, makes T-shirts for a living? And someone walks into your shop and says, there's a gay rights parade in this city or town, and we want you uh, to design a T-shirt with, with a particular message on it. Uh, now, the, the message we're asking you to design violates your most deeply held moral and religious principles. It's utterly against... Uh, your conscience, but, but simply because you are in business, you must be compelled by the state or the federal government uh, to print those T-shirts. Now, may I tell you, that is a much purer free expression or free speech case. And I have to tell you, Kip, what I've just shared is not a hypothetical, it's a real case. A case just like this is pending in the state of Kentucky. And if Jack Phillips loses, which, you know, which would be an enormous loss, you can only imagine the very large number of Americans on, on even better test cases who should be very concerned about giving government the power to coerce us against our religious and moral beliefs. Well, even the Supreme Court agrees with Phillips and, uh, and upholds him. It can be a very narrow ruling. Uh, for example, with the Trinity case, or even with uh, Hobby Lobby, that was those were very narrow rulings. That, that uh, Hobby Lobby was uh, was uh, able to to follow its religious beliefs because it's a family held private company. Uh, as far as uh, the Phillips case, or if Trinity is concerned, again, that idea was this was a church property that had no religious use. Right. So, yeah, those were yeah. very narrow rulings. And I could see that the Supreme Court might be tempted to do a narrow ruling on this. But that's just kicking the issue down the, uh, down the road. Well, we may I tell you, the Supreme Court in this area and in most other areas, as we all know, it specializes in narrow rulings. And to your point, and I, you know, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, if Jack Phillips is to win, and I pray that he does, I hope he wins nine to zero, but I think it is far more likely to be a five to four or a six to three decision, win or loss. And I think that if he is to win, I think it is possible, and I'm very sorry to say this, but based on my time in the courtroom, I think it is very possible that Jack Phillips will win on the narrow uh, question of religious intolerance and bigotry on the part of the Colorado Commission on Civil Rights, but that although they wouldn't call it a loss, they would not allow him to be victorious 
on the question of free speech. And so, as you say, with the Hobby Lobby decision and others, you know, a win is a win is a win, no doubt, and especially at that level. But if it's narrow, uh, it doesn't really resolve the case and the caseload, you know, heretofore. It just allows uh, us to essentially uh, fight another day. So I'm a little concerned that although we'll be pleased, you know, to see Jack Phillips uh, win, that it could be so narrow that many of these other uh, potential cases will not necessarily be resolved. There are two things that might give me a little bit of uh, of hope. I, I, frankly, I agree with you on this, unfortunately. Uh, but there are two two things that I, that I see a little ray of sunshine. One is that, again, with Obergefell, where that was not a narrow a narrow win for the gay lobby. That was that was crushing defeat for for the for traditionalists. So the court has recently issued some sweeping rulings, not just narrow but sweeping. They certainly did in Obergefell. Uh, the other issue, I think, is that there are so so many other cases writing on this that have been filed along with them as as amicus briefs, and so many organizations are involved in it. Uh, we have Arlene's Flowers is writing on this. We have uh, Brusha Nibs that that's writing on this. We have uh, other cake makers. We have wedding photographers. We have filmmakers who are all part of this. And the fact is that the majority of Christians in this country. Roman Catholics, Lutherans, of course, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, just to name a few, not to mention our Jewish and Muslim friends, all say that marriage is between a man and a woman and they cannot be compelled to go along with it. Are they? Are, is this court going to really say that the majority of religious people in this country are bigots? Uh, may I say, the answer is that that is essentially the upshot of Obergefell, going back to where we began. Uh, not because it's my opinion, it is Justice Kennedy's words. When Justice Kennedy wrote that opinion, he cited uh, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention uh, resolution, uh, essentially suggesting that the Southern Baptist Convention is bigoted. Uh, he cited parts of the Roman Catholic Catechism uh, to suggest that some Roman Catholics are bigoted. So the answer, uh, my friend, is yes. I think it is quite possible that if Jack Phillips loses, uh, that it will turn on a question uh, of whether uh, you know Christians who hold his view, who wish to serve the public in business, uh, can ha- really have any conscience restrictions on their ability to decide what they do or do not supply in the marketplace. Uh, May I tell you, Mm -hmm. it was very, very concerning to be in that courtroom and to listen to Justices Kagan, Ginsburg, uh, and Sotomayor. Uh, May I tell you, if it were a court of three, Jack Phillips would lose three to zero. Uh, Justices Kagan, Sotomayor, and Ginsburg feel very strongly that there should not be conscience protections in this regard. They do not believe or hold that this uh, is a good test of expression or artistic expression or religious liberty. Uh, They uh, bring that that scope much more narrowly. And this goes to the second point that you were making, Kip, and that I think is maybe even more important than anything that we have said on this program. When you and I discussed a couple of years ago, uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor case, 
Uh, this is a case where uh, a group of, uh, of American nuns were told that they must provide contraception and abortifacients under Obamacare, even though they had major conscience problems with that. When the Supreme Court decided that case, the case was decided on the most narrow of margins. In other words, essentially, the court decided not to decide. It essentially said our premonition uh, is with uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor. We believe, the court said essentially, that they have the strongest argument over against being compelled uh, to provide uh, abortifacients and contraception, uh, you know, against their conscience. But the Supreme Court did not rule in their favor. The Supreme Court said to the Little Sisters of the Poor, you must go back uh, to the next highest federal courts and essentially work this out with the courts. Well, here we are, uh, three years later, and those, uh, the, that caseload is still being argued in the federal courts. It has never come uh, to a final resolution. Even so though the Department very of, deep waters. Even though the uh, Trump uh, Department of Health and Human Services has specifically exempted them now. But I understand there are at least two court cases, one in California and one in Pennsylvania, challenging that ruling. Uh, the fact is you're exactly right, uh, which, forgive me, uh, proves the point. Uh, which is that unless the Supreme Court is both definitive and widens the gyre of how they actually decide these cases, if they essentially write an opinion uh, that is not definitive and does not outright give victory or defeat to one or the other parties, what does happen in the American system is one of two things. You go back to the federal courts to continue uh, for endless lawsuits, which is the case of Little Sisters, or the executive branch has the opportunity to lay out new policy. But let's remember, in the American system, new policy can always be further adjudicated in the court. So this is very complex. It should not be this complex. Our founding fathers did not intend uh, for religious liberty and rights of conscience cases uh, you know, to be this difficult. But alas, in a time of radical secularization, this is where we have come to. Well, we're seeing it in everything from, uh, oh, the rulings on transgenders in the military, for example. That's another huge issue that's being uh, debated right now. Does the, does the judiciary have a role to play in that? Can the judiciary, say, uh, interfere within uh, the concept of uh, military preparedness? This is an absolutely fascinating issue, Kip. The commander-in-chief, which by the Constitution has to be a civilian and oversees definitively all military policy. The Constitution is very clear in this regard. The commander-in-chief, President Trump, said that he was revoking the transgender policy in the American military. Well, you would think that that would be definitive. It was not. His own Secretary of Defense said we have to have a commission to study this. And during the study period, as you say, we have several lawsuits that have cropped up. And now the, the practical result of those lawsuits has been to block the implementation of the desire of the commander-in-chief. There are not a few people saying, isn't that lawlessness? Isn't that unconstitutional? And I think those who are suggesting that 
may in fact have a strong case. Well, we've got a couple of issues there. One is that President Trump is is actually trying to revert to the long-standing traditional rulings that we have had within the military. Uh, President Obama just changed that by executive fiat in the last year of his uh, administration. This is something that has not been traditionally done. And that was not challenged in court, which should say something again about the judiciary. The other question is, when I hear people compare this to President uh, Truman's integration of the the military in uh, 1948, when he ordered uh, uh, segregation outlawed within the military, that did not affect military preparedness. This does because transgenders require specific ongoing medical treatment while they are in the military. And that affects military preparedness. You know, like diabetics, they are restricted from serving because they require ongoing medical, uh, medical condition, medical treatment. This is a vital issue to national security. This is not a social engineering project. You know, it's very interesting. Um, that that a commander in chief uh, can win one of the most contentious elections in American history. That in the first year of his administration, he can personally weigh into what is one of the most controversial social policies. He can be demonstrative and definitive, and yet, you know, several months after making that decision, uh, the 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 policy has not been changed whether it's a national security and defense issue or not. So I think, frankly, we are in brand new territory in this regard. And these lawsuits have the net effect, Kip, short of this going to the Supreme Court, of prolonging uh, the case on transgenderism in the American military uh, for, for potentially years on end. Well, there's a lot more going on. Uh, I work very closely with uh, Craig Mueller, who is the director, who is the uh, director for the mission to the armed forces here at the LCMS, and uh, several other uh, military organizations. And chaplains are being are being disciplined for in private counseling sessions, telling people that this is that homosexuality or premarital sex, for that matter, is against uh, God's plan. Uh, They're being uh, (laughs) in private counseling sessions. They're being reprimanded for that. Uh, There are other things going on as well. We are seeing the case of uh, Colonel Madrid, who's a uh, decorated war hero, two tours overseas as as a combat pilot. And simply because he did not sign a letter of appreciation to a gay sergeant's spouse. Well, may I say uh, the, 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 the chaplain's program... Uh, which has a storied and extraordinary tradition in the American military, uh, is one of the major uh, important programs in the whole of the Pentagon and in the whole of the American military structure. But clearly we are in an era which is so stratified and so divided that not on just general issues of conscience, as in the Jack Phillips case, but in the most narrow, personal, uh, you know, confines of what constitutes uh, the whole essence of conscience, what constitutes the whole idea of the ability to give uh, private counsel in a relationship between a pastor uh, and a member of the military, or a priest and a member of the military, or an imam, or a rabbi. I mean, this is really brand new territory 
in the American experience, and it all derives uh, from exactly the kind of differences uh, that are coming to the fore in the cases of the florist in Washington State, uh, the baker in Colorado, uh, the T-shirt printer in Kentucky, and frankly, Kip, the list is nearly endless. And may I say, when government chooses, even with the greatness of checks and balances, even when uh, you, know, you have this remarkable experience in constitutional liberty, when government chooses not to decide, it makes the, uh, the, the weight on conscience and the weight on religious liberty even more dire. Well, Jim, we're coming up to the end of the program. I'm going to give you the last minute here. What do you see coming up this year? Well, the most important case uh, in the new Supreme Court term, the second part of it, in 2018, will focus on pregnancy resource centers uh, in, in the state of California. Uh, their whole reason for being is to uh, counsel uh, pregnancy-minded women uh, to, to pray and to think hard about keeping their child. And these pregnancy resource centers have had enormous success for the pro-life movement. California has now passed a law that says that every pregnancy resource center must make it clear to an abortion-minded woman against the conscience of those working in a pregnancy resource center that abortion is legal and an option in California. In other words, the whole reason for a pregnancy resource center's existence is now on the line legally in California because, once again, government is stepping up and mandating that pregnancy resource centers must mention abortion as an option. Again, a religious liberty issue is coming to the Supreme Court in 2018. Well, thank you for that observation, Tim. We are just about running out of time. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Hi, I'm Gary Duncan. Along with my family and all of us at KFUO, I wish you a Merry Christmas. We read in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 6:23, For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. See, when the Bible speaks of salvation, it's a gift from God. It's something given to us freely, not something we've earned. During this holiday season, I hope you're comforted by the words of Scripture. Also, during this time of giving, please pray for KFUO. Pray that we continue to have the resources needed to proclaim Christ worldwide. We read in Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our mission at KFUO is to proclaim the word of Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Would you help us do that? Please consider making a gift today to KFUO. Call 800-844-0524. That's 800-844-0524. Thanks for your support and Merry Christmas.